welcome back to another episode of Ends With Z. I'm Juan Fernandez, along with Cecile Munoz. We're in August, still a time when uh, students should be um, heading back to class. A lot of them have, right, Cecile, in one way or another. And we've been dealing with the struggles, the worries, and the challenges facing not only students, but teachers uh, in this podcast. And also parents. Right. It's the other piece of that that, that trifecta of a challenge Mm -hmm. of making sure that we understand the challenges and the perspective and the need and the concerns of all parties involved, which I think, mm-hmm. yes, school board and, and and superintendents, of course, those are very much part of the process and yeah. the, the individuals who ultimately have the say, but we cannot forget the teachers. We cannot have this conversation without the parents, mm-hmm. and we should only do this with the mindset of the benefit of the students and the teachers. So um, had a great, great conversation with our first teacher, Shannon, last mm-hmm. week, who was so generous and kind with her time and very insightful. And that really got me thinking, Juan, um, and I kept thinking about the difference it makes to the teachers mm-hmm. and the students, especially in the pandemic, when you have advanced planning and proper right. tools and proper resources and how that has made uh, a difference uh, in the middle of all that they're mm-hmm. having to deal with. And today we're going to talk to Genevieve, who is also a teacher in a Title I school in Phoenix, Arizona. And Explain what Title I is in case somebody's listening for the first time. Well, just a, on a top-line basis, Title I school means that you will have a, a certain percentage of your students be from a certain socioeconomic, or okay. uh, simply way saying it, poor students. Mm-hmm. You're going to be looking at students who are classified. Lower-income households, lower right? Lower-income and students at risk. Okay. So on top of everything that they deal with, as we heard from Shannon, that a great portion of what they do and why they do, the purpose of what they do, what they do, is because they they love their students, they love the kids, mm-hmm. they are in many ways emotional caregivers. They uh, help develop mm-hmm. the emotional mm-hmm. awareness and the kindness and the compassion of kids. So Genevieve is also teaching in a Title One school, and what I'm looking forward to hearing her story as well as how she's dealing with this, but in her district, how they are dealing with what we call. The, the great tech divide, which is something that has emerged as part of what of the many things that COVID has revealed, mm-hmm. is when you don't have all the technology support, all the the tools and the resources, that too is creating right. inequities among the races, among African American and Hispanic students and those of lower mm-hmm. income, which can be also white. Uh, not just exclusive to Hispanics and African-Americans. And even pre-pandemic, schools have always had a problem with resources, getting the tools that they need, and the pandemic has only magnified that even greater. Absolutely. Resource constraints has been an ever-present problem. But I think what the pandemic has certainly Mm -hmm. done, it Mm -hmm. has smacked us across the face of the realities of how it affects, as I have said before, the most vulnerable population in this country. And in this case, in the case of education and preparing for the future, it's our youth, it's the children, it's the students. And that's why we thought it was important to talk directly to school teachers from different parts of the country to understand from their personal perspective because they are in the trenches. And what's interesting, despite all the challenges, what a lot of our listeners are going to hear now is a teacher who loves what she does, loves her students, and is constantly adjusting, constantly changing the way that she approaches a problem, not only to benefit her students, but also to deal with herself, her own family, and the challenges that, that come with all of that. 
and they're relentless mm-hmm. and and they put themselves at great risk and at great peril and listen we all know that mm-hmm. they don't make a lot of money mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. not a job a career that you go into because you want to make a lot of money you do that because that is unquestionably a sense of purpose it's it's a basically to me uh, a labor of love and we keep hearing that when we talk to teachers and all I can say Juan is I walk away both humbled and feeling uh, sometimes a little bit guilty that I'm not more supported that I'm not doing enough mm-hmm. and that's okay I'm okay feeling that way uh, if it causes me to say I need to be more engaged maybe I don't have children you don't have children mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but through all of this to say what else can we do for school teachers or what else can we do to help parents especially we as business owners what can we in private sector mm-hmm. do to help our schools and the families as we, as we continue to go through this pandemic because we're constantly adjusting we're constantly changing we go back to school we don't have to go back to school we're having a hybrid model but in all of this, we are a factor. We can be mm-hmm. a positive factor and a positive influence on how we get through this together. Should we bring in Genevieve? Let's listen to Genevieve. Genevieve, hi. Thank you so much for joining us today and for giving us of your time. I know that you have a lot of competing priorities, including um, Mm -hmm. concerned with how you are going to get back to doing what you love to do and teaching your students. So our first question is, how are you doing? How are you holding up through all of these constant changes on top of uh, the virus? Um, I'm doing well. Uh, Just got to, the mantra, got to be in the mantra of flexibility. You know, be ready for change from one day to the next, sometimes even from one hour to the next. What's been the hardest uh, thing so far trying to adapt to this new uh, normal? Um, for me as an educator, um, naturally we are nurturers. Mm-hmm. And so um, being able to, not not being able to, I should say, um, help the parents, um, just that um, human interaction. Um, I mean, it's so very different on a screen as opposed to in person, um, that's been the hardest is, is not being able to actually feel, see, hear, greet my students. That's been the hardest. And that's uh, something your, your empathy kind of plays into that, right? You, when you see somebody and look at their face and, and feel their body language, um, you can react to that. So yeah, seeing somebody in person really makes a big difference, huh? Yes, absolutely. Especially I teach kindergarten. So, oh my you know, it's their first, their first school experience mm-hmm. ever. And for a lot of parents, it's their first time letting their, their little ones go, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all day without seeing them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, that's been the most difficult for sure. One of the things that I was reading when I was doing my own research on teachers and just what we ask of teachers, how teaching mm-hmm. has evolved over the centuries. I, I like to dive deep and, and question what I know and why I know what I know. And what was so interesting is that we have asked uh, teachers to certainly evolve and adapt. About two decades ago, we asked them to learn how to be human shields in some right. ways, how to how to react to an active shooter crisis. Mm-hmm. And now we're asking you to, to do almost uh, the same thing, to be a, a frontline Um, protection for Mm -hmm, the kids mm -hmm. and put yourself in the line of fire again but then the other thing that I read is that a part of being a teacher which you mentioned Genevieve is 
providing emotional support, being a caregiver to your students. Mm -hmm. And I know that you also go through training to be able to see and spot and identify when perhaps a child is in crisis. So how do you do that now when you're not in person? And is your district, and because you're in the Phoenix area, I believe, or the greater Phoenix area in, Ar in Arizona, are you doing distance teaching now or distance learning or are you back to, to school in person? Uh I am doing distance teaching. This is um, my third week. I'm going on my third week, and um, that is a big part of um, teaching now. Um, it's not just reading and writing and math, um, the academics. It's also we have a huge portion where we do social and emotional instruction, mm -hmm. um, and that's um, caring for the child as a whole um, on top of um, technology instruction and how to be safe on the internet. Um, but uh, social and emotional is huge. That's how we start our mornings is um, checking in and making sure that everybody is okay. Um, and that was a big concern uh, for teachers. Um, during this pandemic, the instances or uh, what well, they're saying, um, reports on child abuse or mm -hmm. things of that nature have gone down significantly. Well, it's not that they've gone down. It's just that the major reporters are mm, not, they're not there being able to write. Right. And so, um, that is a huge, huge concern. Um, and I don't care what socioeconomic background you come from, um, what type of school you're at. Um, those things can happen at any school, no matter whether it's a private school or a public school, mm -hmm. um, an at-risk school or a, a highly rated school, you have those things that happen all the time. And teachers, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily, we do get training mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we, we, we prefer not to have those things, but, uh, those things happen and, um, we are, um, report mandated reporters. And if we, see or suspect something we have to we're mandated by law to report it genevieve and can so, you not that those are going down sorry yeah can you give us an idea what happens during that check-in when you say you do that uh, mm -hmm. emotional check-in with with the kids um can, can you give us an example of, of exactly how it goes sure um you start the your day with good morning and uh you make sure that they are seen and heard you mm -hmm. make eye contact and mm -hmm. we practice that that's a skill that we teach within the classroom. Um, and when, it, when someone is talking, everybody, everybody is focused and paying attention and their eyes are on them. Their ears are listening. You know, what does that look like? What does that sound like? Um, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? We talk about feelings and mm -hmm. uh, recognizing feelings and understanding feelings. Um, and so it might be just as simple as how was your day or how is your morning going? Mm -hmm. um, and, and just, taking the time to have each child feel um, like they matter and that they're important and that we are listening and we care about what they say. And since these are kindergartners, my guess is for the, for the most part, they've never seen you before in person, right? No, they've never seen me before in person. Not, not at this stage of the game, but, wow. but normally we meet them two or three times before school even starts. So uh, yeah, it's very hard. And that hasn't happened. Yeah. And no. So no, how do no, you no. create a bond My, with them? How do you create a connection yeah. with, with, with these kids who have been sheltered at home um, under That's everything the that they're hearing? Mm. So, so how, mm -hmm. how did you do it? How are you handling the first three weeks? How are you making that connection with, 
with these babies? Because at five, right, right they're five or six. They're five or six um, in little ways. Um, it, and it's very difficult. I'll tell you the first day I had trouble with my tech, my technology and the teacher lost her classroom. That teacher would be me. And so the parents <laughs> were trying to log in and it was just some tech, technical difficulties. And I was looking for jobs when I got off my, my teaching day. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. Wow. Uh, but the next day, I saw their faces and they were smiling and happy. And I thought, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, then we had a, a staff meeting at the end and I think it was consistent. Those connections, we were just not, we, it's just so difficult to make those connections via a screen when you're looking at 30, well, I don't have 30, but you know, yeah, 20 plus kids on a screen. How do you make those little connections? So it's, um, noticing a haircut and saying oh jimmy you got a haircut did you get a haircut yesterday and then their smile brightens or i bet oh Susie, look at that dress oh my goodness purple looks fantastic on you um little ways like that but to actually uh, it's it's hard but you you find little ways or great job making the number five or you know um, I'm tearing up just listening I, to you, Genevieve. That's so beautiful <laughs> because, I mean, you're not only a teacher, but but you are that first line of defense. I remember 46 years ago walking into my kindergarten class to this day, and it was the first time that my mom left me in the hands of somebody else. Mm-hmm. My teacher's name was Mrs. Black. She was waiting for me, and my mom said I didn't even hesitate. I just walked right up to her, grabbed her hand, and I said, are you my teacher? And that was it. It devastated my mother, right? Because, <laughs> yes, because here you, I am. You went willingly. I was okay to go. So yeah, it's, the teachers are so important uh, to all of us. And I remember my first day of kindergarten. I was I was really nervous. I yeah. was a very precocious child. I was very eager to go to the to to school. <laughs> I, I, I had already learned. I had learned how to read already, and and I was and I was a very serious kid. Um, and I loved going to school. I felt. Me I too. still remember. Me too many names of teachers that were so important in my life they were um they were the the, they were the the people that made such an impact and a difference in my life that told me Mm -hmm. that unlike my just or i should say just like my parents and my families and members i'm very fortunate to have very loving uh, family members and very supportive but to have someone that is not of your family tell you you can do this i believe in you you're Mm -hmm. great you feel like you can do anything. You're elevated, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, Genevieve, I think you had shared with us that you've been teaching for almost 20 years. Um, so do you feel you were prepared to, to make this transition? Do you feel that maybe perhaps you had a little bit of an advantage to maybe some someone else who's been teaching only two or three years? Um, I, I sort of did because in the last, in March, um, we had already at, in my district that I was at at that time, we had already been using devices, one-to-one devices for six years. So my kindergartners had been using their device since September. And here we are March. All they had to do was take it home and use it again. Um, it was a little bit of a transition and it was difficult at that time. But starting this new school year, I thought, ah, I've got it. I can do this. It's not going to be ideal and the way I want to start it, but I can do it. Oh, no different platforms, different um, devices. Uh, yeah, I felt like a first year teacher. So it everything is out the window, whether you're a first year or 25th or fifth, 
it, we were all in the same playing field. The only difference that my younger colleagues have fresh out of college is that a lot of them had online classes. So the Mm. platform that we used, they, they could navigate it pretty easy. Mm. Of course, it's different on the teacher's end, but they were at least, they at least had a little bit of a head start, but everybody was on the same playing field. And, and it's just totally different being in a classroom as opposed to being online. It's completely different, especially when you're dealing with the younger kids. Now, the older kids, a totally different set of problems um, because they're able to read and write and communicate and they can figure things out. Um, all the things that they're not supposed to do as opposed to all the things that they are supposed to do. Whereas in the lower grades, sometimes they do things they're not supposed to do on accident, not on purpose. But um, yeah, it, everybody was on the same playing field. Nobody was nobody was at an advantage or disadvantaged. And throw in the uh, fact that you are dealing with an audience of five and six-year-olds, that's yet another one. They're very easily distracted, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We take a lot of, uh, we call them brain breaks, and we get up and <laughs> get the wiggles out. And we do we all need those. Yes, <laughs> yes. We, I like that, brain yeah. breaks. I think we, we as adults should remember mm-hmm. lessons learned from a kindergartner teacher. I think we're going we're gonna <laughs> to take, take that. A brain break, <laughs> yeah. Take a brain break. Take a brain break. I think we're going to take that from mm-hmm. you, Genevieve. So let me ask you, <laughs> if tomorrow you were mandated, as many states are doing, mm-hmm. to go back to in-person learning, how do you feel about that? Wow. Are you ready to do that? Mm. Um, my heart says I am absolutely ready to do that because that's where I know is best for my students. Mm. Um, my head says, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm nervous for my colleagues. I'm nervous for myself. Um, I'm willing to do it, but my husband's like, I'm not willing to take the risk of, you know, you have 500 people in that building and I don't know what the percentage is of the you know, the death rate due to COVID, but mm-hmm. whatever that percentage is, those people can, cannot be here in a month. And I, he said, and I don't want to take the risk of it being you yeah. or and, anybody else, but. <laughs> and I can even hear um, the struggle, Genevieve, and you even allowing yourself to say those words. You, you are struggling. Right. It was very easy for you to say, I know where my heart is, but even hard for you to recognize that you feel that you're personally vulnerable. And I think that that is something that is is a, a quality of teachers that resembles that of nurses. We recently did a podcast talking to, to nurses who have been in the front lines, one particular nurse in, in New York. And what I find interesting, Genevieve, is the similarities between teachers and nurses. You are, first and mm-hmm. foremost, caregivers. Mm-hmm. Um, you put your, yourself almost second or last to that of your patient or that of your students. And um, many times we, we ask you to put yourself, obviously, in the line of danger, in the line of fire. And I, I personally thank you f- and all teachers for, yeah. for continuing to care for the kids and how do you feel and have you um i hope not had any any negative talk uh aimed at you because there are so many people out there that feel downright angry that teachers yeah. are hesitating going yes. back to school that they're saying wait a minute uh it is not safe you're not provided in some cases some teachers are enough ppe to protect yourself and I know that teachers have historically not earned enough for the work that they do. Yeah. You spend a percentage mm-hmm. of, of their, their capital buying things for the school. 
How do how do you feel? Have you been at the and you and your colleagues at the other end of of parents saying, you know, you have to go back. It's your job. You're mm. you're an essential worker. Um, that somehow you're being yes. weak or, or worse yet lazy because you don't want to go right. back to in person teaching. Right. Um, and I heard that in March or April, uh, parents were upset that um, early on saying, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. What are they doing at home all day? They're only online for two to three hours. That that was my kindergartners. Um, and what people didn't realize is we were planning and prepping when we weren't live online with the students, we were planning and prepping and talking about, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to measure progress? How are we going to hit those kids that need the extra help? How are we, I mean, it was far more planning than if it had been a regular school year. Um, same same is happening now. Um, I'm in Arizona, as you said before, and uh, for my particular district, they will be having a, um, a special board meeting on Wednesday to determine whether we're going to go back regardless of the CDC guidelines. Uh, there was a couple of other school districts that said they are going back and they've um, the teachers have done a sick out. That's what they've called it. They've mm -hmm. called in sick. Mm -hmm. um, even some of the students have um, called in sick because they don't feel safe. Mm. Um, but yeah, the parents are are um, uh, they are protesting um, outside of these board meetings, saying that they want their children back in the classroom, and um, that's where we want to be too. Um, our governor had had um, came on and said that he supports the superintendents and the principals and the parents, and if they need to go back to schools, and then. He was asked, well, what about the teachers? And he, uh, you didn't say teachers. And he said, well, I know a lot of teachers who want to go back into the classroom. I don't know one single teacher that doesn't want to go back into the classroom. I bet. We want to be in the classroom, but we want to go back when it's safe. And yes, we signed up for a thankless job and, and one that, you know, okay, the pay is not great, but if you are a teacher and you're called to teach, there's really nothing that can stop you from doing that. Um, but we didn't sign up to take temperatures and to um, sanitize and, and clean up and monitor fevers and coughs. And, you know, I was, I was going to school to be a nurse. And when I thought about it, I thought I don't want to put myself and my family at mm -hmm. that high of a risk mm -hmm. because there's a difference there's a difference and thank goodness for nurses i mean and doctors and medical professionals and firefighters because they put their lives at risk every single day but they do that willingly and knowingly and i think as teachers we didn't sign up for that particular you know for those particular things we don't have ppe in fact um, me and my other two colleagues in kinder um, you know, I'm like, Hey, I found these, um, uh, shields and I found these face masks that are clear because we need the clear ones. We can't just have, you know, if the district provides us, you know, with masks in my particular grade, I need a specific kind mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. my students need to see my, my mouth and how I right. form the letters and those kind of things. But I mean, so I've already started preparing for if and when I'm mandated to go back because either I go back or I, I probably don't have a job, but you know, that's, that is my choice, but I did not choose to take temperatures. Like I said, you know, yeah. basically we're going to add 
we already do nursing duties, you mm-hmm. know, clean scrapes and put bandages and those kinds of things. But this this is at a whole new level and put my life at risk. In I a pandemic, yeah, during a pandemic when your life is at risk, of Correct. course. And it doesn't just stop with you. Then you take that down to your family. Exactly. So if it is mandated and if you don't take it, then you're, I know that you say it's your choice not to take it and therefore it's you lose your job because of your choice, but... I can certainly make the argument for why are you having to make that choice in a pandemic. Um, right. We've read and, and known uh, some teachers that part of the condition of going back to work um, means having to sign what is being called a death a death waiver. That mm. if you do go back to school, you have to sign something that says, and if you do sick, you will hold everybody harmless. That in and of itself should make you take a moment to pause because sure. yes, doctors and nurses do willingly know that that is, and firefighters do understand that that's part of their their requirement to their job. And this is just it brings what we ask of teachers to a to a surreal level. And then I also wanted to to make a, a point of what you were saying about the governor. That is something that is so astonishing to me that all these discussions that are being had mm-hmm. about going, sending kids back to school, they're always just talking to the school administrators, the governors, perhaps the mayors, and the school board. But none of those people are going into the classroom and doing the teaching. Why are teachers not front and center of the conversation? Mm-hmm. If, if you I- want to find out how nurses are doing, you ask the nurses. You don't right. ask the janitor. You don't ask the parking right. attendant. And you don't ask the superintendent. Right. And I think um, historically that's just the way it is. And teachers really don't really where we feel like, okay, let me just teach. Um, But we've never really been a part of the conversation ever. So we're not, we don't make any fuss about it. We just, you know, say, okay, if that, you know, that's what we have to do, we'll do it. Um, I don't think we've ever really been a part of, the lawmaking. If we are, it's minimal. Well, maybe that's something yeah. that we all should think about mm-hmm. and how it matters to creating the right policies in the best interest of the children and not, and not right. only the children, but then those people who are spending every moment of their day while they're in school with the children is why not bring to the table the individuals who have firsthand knowledge versus people mm-hmm. who get it distilled from, from a different, from three or four individuals removed. I mean, it seems logical to me too. You want to know how kids are doing, you ask the people that are teaching them on a right. day-to-day basis. And at the end of the day, it's about the teachers and the students, the ones in the classroom, Correct. the ones that are coming to work every day. Correct. Correct. Genevieve, yeah. what do you think is going to be, what are you most concerned about um, that you that you are going to be asked to deal with, or maybe that you're going to have to focus on making up the time that you have lost by not being able to, to see the kids face-to-face when they do come back, whenever that is, whether it's sooner or later, um, to in-person learning? Um, I think my biggest fear is helping the kids catch up, and it, that that could be any grade level. But And then also when we're back in the classroom, um, having not being able to high-five the kids or um, – Gosh, I do all kinds of things. Hand over hand instruction when we're teaching them how to hold their pencil correctly. I mean, are we going to be able to touch them and correct them in that way? Um, I'm a hugger. I hug my kids all the time. Older, my my previous students, third graders, fourth graders, you know, hey, Mrs. Deloney, they'll come and hug me. Are we to say, no, we can't do that? I mean, 
that and so then that will take a toll emotionally on the students right or when we do come back to class and i'm sure when you remember in kindergarten there was always one or two kids who cried mm-hmm. and so those kids would probably sit on my lap not sit on my lap but stand next to me while i hugged them and consoled them while they cried can i do that i, I will that be allowed will they will they will they come to school healthy and then catch something from another student and then take it back home. I teach at an at-risk school. So in their homes, there's multi multi-generational family members. Mm-hmm. Will they take that back? I worry about that all the time. I worry about, mm, do I go back and cover the things that I really, I'm not sure if they got it because through the computer, do they, are they fully understanding to what extent are they understanding? I mean, there's a whole slew of things. I'm preparing now for online learning and then in, in-person in learning. And then we have a hybrid model. What will that look like? So we're preparing double, triple lesson plans here because we just don't know what's going to happen in a week or two or a month. So there, there's a lot of concerns. <laughs> I, I am still focused, Genevieve, on putting myself back to being a kindergartner and what if I was afraid and what if I was scared and I was crying what I would feel if I was just sitting there in the corner by myself right and the and yeah. everybody just looking at me and the teacher just I, I just I mean I can't even right. and your classmates would be yeah. discouraged from hugging you or, or 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 comforting you as well and and oh yeah what is that teaching a what kid is, what is that right what's what's recess gonna look like because they really can't play together so what is that going to look like? And even when all this is over, which um, hopefully it will be, there's still going to be that very long process of getting back to normal. Like you said, Genevieve, it's going to be a while before, even when hopefully people are vaccinated and, and this is all in our rearview mirror, that, um, you know, do you touch a, a child's hand to help him uh, learn how to write the alphabet or, or 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 comfort them in a time of need? It's going to be a, It's going to be a long time before we see that. Right. So they're social and emotional. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to vamp up the social and emotional, but then are you, you need a lot of, you need as much time as you can to catch them up academically because they've lost, you know, the time academically as well. So it's going to be a a challenge for sure. Genevieve, I'm the kind of person that when I decide that I'm going to do something or that something needs to be done, I will myself to do it, even if it means jumping out of a window because I trust, as I say, that if there is not yet a net at the bottom, I will knit it as fast as I can before I land so that it catches me. Right. But when I think about all that, that is ahead of us for, for kids, I get that parents say, we have to get the kids back in school. I get that many of them have to, especially single moms, have to go back to work so that they can provide a roof mm-hmm. over the head, their heads and, and food on the table for these kids. And in many ways, whether we want to admit it or not, another piece that we need to fix in our society is affordable, effective childcare. In many ways, teachers become a childcare mm-hmm. provider mm-hmm. to parents. So I get that that solves a lot of problems and helps our economy. But what would you say, what do you say to parents who are saying, let me push this on to the school and the teachers so that I don't have to worry about the myriad of problems it causes because I need to go out and earn a living for my family? How do you help them and you as a teacher come to a middle ground of 
all the factors that and all the, the challenges that it takes to make this work? Um, I usually agree with them and say, I understand and I agree with you. School is the best place for your child to get their education. Um, but they have to put themselves in my situation too. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just like in the classroom. Treat me the way you want me to treat your child, you know, with compassion, with dignity, with respect, with patience, with grace, with kindness. We want to be there just as much as you want your child to be there. Uh, but we got to figure this out and we've got to do what we need to do to in order to enter the schools in a safe place. If they wouldn't want their child in a school with broken chairs and <clears throat> lead in the water and, you know, all of these hazardous things. Right. <clears throat> having them, I, I don't think people really understand, especially in kinder. Um, children come to school just clean and ready to go, and some don't. But by the end of the day, they have, you know, they're little walking germs. <laughs> and, um, we, you know, they, they don't cover their mouths and they go to the restroom and they forget to wash their hands. And, and as much as we practice it and remind them, um, it's just really on a good day. It's not, it's not very, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's kids. It's, you know, tons of kids, but when you have a pandemic and, um, we don't control what happens outside of our classrooms and that all comes back into our classroom. So I, I tell parents, I understand, and we're very flex. I mean, at least I am. And the school that I work at very flexible with parents, not being able to, um, you know, if you can't log in now or join our meetings, you know, when you get home from work, you know, log them in. If you have questions, we have office hours, uh, where we can help them. Um, but we want to get back into the classroom as soon as possible, just like you. And looking ahead, Genevieve, so much is still an unknown. Looking ahead, I mean, you said you were planning for three different types of teaching, hybrid teaching, in-person teaching, online teaching, and yet with all this preparation, still what's what's left ahead is such a mystery for all of us. Ex exactly. Yeah. We don't know what it's going to bring. It is pretty scary. Yeah, I bet. I think that one of the things that has been such a, what I call the red thread, what has consistently prevailed, not only the conversation that we've had with you today, Genevieve, which again, thank you so much for not only making of your time, but being willing to just share so openly and honestly what you feel and what you're afraid of for yourself and for your family. And I would say equally as important to, to your kids in, in your grade and in your class. I think what is such a prevailing theme, and it's something that we find so important um, in our group and, and why one of the key reasons we chose to do this podcast is talking about empathy. You're, you're, you're asking a very simple question of, of those parents and people around you, just like we should ask of ourselves and of each other every day, is stop and take into consideration what you're asking of that person and would you ask that of yourself and give yourself a moment to respect what that person is going through and how their life is affected mm -hmm. and, and their loved ones um, and what you're asking of them to make your life easier. What does that cost them in return? And 
And I think with so much worry, so many, so many worries on our shoulders, with so much going on with a pandemic and, and a financial crisis and everything and unemployment, that we can become overwhelmed. But I don't think mm -hmm. that we, we should give ourselves a pass, especially when it becomes a question of educating our, our, our youth, our future, and just say, well, we just have to make it work. Yes, we do have to make it work, but we have the capacity and the intelligence and the compassion to do it in a way where it's safe for everyone. Mm -hmm especially the children. Compassion, empathy, and um, what Genevieve mentioned at the beginning mm -hmm. when, we, when we started this conversation was adaptability, mm -hmm. which is that common thread that weaves through most of our podcasts. It's being able to change, to adapt, to thrive, to move forward. And I think, Genevieve, you're already at that point where you're already adapting, you're already changing. So my guess is you are going to be successful at this. It's just you know, tiptoeing our way through this pandemic. That's right. And, and God, we do want her to be successful. And, and we, um, we appreciate the love and care that you're giving the students, mm -hmm. but we also appreciate the love and care that you're extending and the compassion and the mm -hmm. grace that you're, mm -hmm. you're uh, extending to, to the parents of those kids. Because I know that you are at an at-risk goal, and I believe that means that you're dealing with a population that has, uh, uh, they're probably in poverty or, or mm -hmm. socially economically disadvantaged. Correct. Which adds Correct. a whole host of other, yeah. other challenges where we get that all of those individuals probably are essential workers if they're fortunate enough to have a job. So their pain yes. comes much more acutely than perhaps someone else who doesn't have those challenges. So Genevieve, we, we thank you for your time. We thank you for your honesty. We um, wish you great success and that your ever-growing heart continues to, to move forward with love and compassion and grace and that all our listeners take a moment and understand that it matters how we treat mm -hmm. teachers. It matters mm -hmm. the words that we use and it always matters that we take a moment to put ourselves in the shoes of others, especially those who are caring for our children. So Genevieve, thank you so much. I wish you and your family and your students great health and hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thank you for having me. And while Cecile, another very powerful interview from a woman who clearly loves what she does, yes. loves her students. If I did have a child, I'd want my child to be in her classroom. Absolutely. And that is what children need. They, yes, mm -hmm. we do need education mm -hmm. to help kids propel forward and, yep. pro and our society to propel forward. And yes, we do know that even before COVID, as we said, there was great disadvantage as a country in terms of competing uh, against other developed nations. But I think what is really coming out of this and what I'm taking away from this is how much love and support mm -hmm. the teachers need and these kids need. Um, the uh, Center for Emotional Intelligence, okay. Yale Center mm -hmm. for Emotional Intelligence, just conducted a, we'll call it a research, but what they did is they invited 5,000 teachers from all over the country to join in in a discussion. And they basically asked them, how are you doing? How are you handling uh, what's happening through this crisis? And, and how are you feeling about getting back to school? And the words that the teachers used were stressed, anxious, worried for themselves and the students, overwhelmed and confused. And mm -hmm. after listening to both Shannon and Genevieve, mm -hmm. I can see why they feel that way. But I am, I, I remark at their strength and of their courage because I know that I heard Juan that they are resolved in being there for their kids, yep. that they will, that will come back and do what is asked of them to make sure the kids go forward. 
But what is so beautiful to hear is that what keeps them up at night is worrying about the kids. Yeah, they want to be in the classroom, yes. number one. And, and I was going to add to what you just said. Um, most people worry about their jobs nine to five. When when the, that bell rings at five o'clock, they're done. They move on. These teachers are worried about yes. their students um, when they're at home, when they're having dinner. They're wondering if these children are, are getting what they need at are home. Are safe? Are they safe? Are they getting food? Um, it's a round-the-clock yes. worry, and I don't. I think a lot of people don't. We forget that. Are, are, yeah, they f we forget about that. We forget that. Yeah. So we can't forget the teachers. We can't forget how much they matter to mm -hmm. the lives of our children, to the life of all of us, because these kids are our future. This is this is where we continue to thrive as Americans by ensuring that the life and the success and the education of the kids in school is the very best mm -hmm. that we can give. So if we continue to bring the very best of ourselves every day and remember to give some of that back to teachers in any way, shape, form we can and to be patient and loving and understanding of the parents that are dealing with how in the world do we send our kids safely back to school, right. we will all be the better for it. Right. And just like we would thank a, a member of the military for their service, right. we must thank teachers as well for their service because you and I both know um, we're, we're both educated. We both went to a high school and college. Those teachers that made a difference helped make us who we are today, and, and we thank them as well. Absolutely. And that'll bring us to the end of yet another podcast. Thanks so much for listening to Ends With Z. We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe at www.endswithz.com to get the latest updates from us. Email us with questions or show suggestions. We'll be happy to hear from you. Also, follow us on Instagram for tips and insight as well. Until next week, for Cecile Munoz and executive producer Sean Moe, I'm Juan Fernandez. Have a great day because above all else, you matter.